So we began this roof series back in November, technically, and the plan was to finish the week before Christmas, and that fell through, and so uh, we're finally coming back to finish this. You've got the first three chapters we've gone over in Ruth, and um, so today we, we finish what we began, right? <clears throat> so uh, find it in your Bible if you've got it. Ruth is the eighth book in the Bible, if it helps to count it out, uh, you know, get in the practice of being able to get there. Uh, And so today we are going to be finishing this, and part of this is a beautiful thing. You're going to see the way this all uh, connects. Had we done it before Christmas, it was going to work out perfect, the way it goes into the Advent and the coming of Christ as a child, and uh, you're going to see that today, but but it won't be as timely as it would have been right then. So um, anyway, so a quick reminder of where we are in the story. I can't imagine that picking up this many weeks later that you remember it all. Uh, The book began with Naomi and her husband. They lived in Bethlehem, but they left and they went to the the country of Moab because there was a famine in Bethlehem, the city of Bethlehem. And while they were there, Naomi's husband dies, making her a widow. They had two sons, and those sons married two Moabite women. uh, And after about 10 years, uh, their husbands die, leaving them widows. So now you've got these three widows in in a, a faraway country of Moab. And Naomi then, the oldest, the mother... Uh, decides to return home to Bethlehem because the famine is over and she's hoping she can find some some food and subsistence there. Uh, One of her daughters-in-law, named, um, well, like Oprah, right? Orpah is where their name actually comes from. She decides to stay in Moab. uh, But the other one, Ruth, decides to go with her, uh, to go with Naomi back to Bethlehem. Uh, And so she goes with with Naomi. And Naomi is just emotionally spent at this point. She has been so broken down that when she arrives in town in Bethlehem, she asks her friends, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Bitter. Uh, the, the name she asked means bitter. Uh, and Ruth, the, the younger one who goes with her, ends up going out in this field, and she's working, trying to get the, the grain, and she meets this guy named Boaz, who is incredibly kind to her, and slowly they're getting to know each other. Uh, and Boaz counts as what's called a redeemer in this, this culture. You've got to understand, things are different than our culture. He's called uh, a redeemer, meaning that he is a relative of Naomi, uh, who, if he married Ruth, because that's the daughter-in-law, uh, that any child they had would continue the family lineage of Naomi uh, and Ruth's dead husbands. And so that family line would, would continue to go on. And so then chapter 3, where we left off, we saw that uh, as harvest was coming to an end, uh, according to Naomi's plan, Ruth followed Boaz uh, up to the threshing floor, the place where they uh, deal with the grain, process it. And in the middle of the night, she, she essentially asked him, will you marry me? Uh, and and then, however, one of the things he says there, there's this, this moment where he says, you know, uh, there is one redeemer, another guy who is closer, who has the, the first option, basically, to, to, to marry Ruth. And so while Boaz does wish to marry Ruth, he's second in line. He's got to deal with some things first. And, and that's where our text left off, this, this knowing that Boaz the next day was going to go and deal with these issues. Uh, and so it ends with this very chauvinistic sounding cliffhanger, you know, would Ruth end up with the kind Boaz or this unnamed redeemer uh, that is closer? And so we're going to find out here in these, these, uh, this chapter. So uh, if you've got it open, we're going to read all of chapter 4, and then we'll dig into it. <clears throat> Ruth chapter 4, verse 1. Now, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city, and he said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, 
who has come back from the country of Moab is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative, Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of all my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. <clears throat> but if you will not, tell me that I may know, know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. And then Boaz said, the day you buy the field, the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. And then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought, bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Malon and also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon. I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gates uh, of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. And so Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in, in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your, of, of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap, and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered <coughs> Amenadab. Amenadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Father, we have watched this story unfold uh, from December. Uh, and it is a, a beautiful work that you have done in their lives some few thousand years ago. This morning, we ask that you would enlighten our minds to receive it, to be changed by the content of what we have just read. Uh, if today any here do not know uh, Jesus as Lord, we ask that you give faith. And if we know Christ, I ask that you renew our faith, renew our sense of wonder at the grace that you have bestowed upon us working through history. And may we find joy in this passage today. Uh, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So long story, strange story. Uh, you know, you see a lot of cultural differences uh, right from the start. You know, if you wanted to find someone in this time period, you know, before telephones and, and whatnot, you just apparently stood by the gate of the city and waited for them to walk by. It couldn't have been a real efficient way to do it, and yet 
Uh, this is the way they did it. Uh, you see, the, the gate of the city had a lot of significance in this culture. It was a, a place for people to gather. It was like a, a courthouse as well. Uh, if you could take Starbucks and the courthouse and merge them together, merge them together you'd kind of get the idea. Uh, and we have no idea how long Boaz ended up waiting there, but eventually it actually worked. The guy he's waiting for did walk by, uh, and we see that. You know, he said, friend, you know, turn aside. That word that we read as, as friend here in Hebrew uh, is actually a word that means basically what's his face. Um, it's not the actual technical word friend or maybe, you know, Mr. So-and-so. It's kind of like uh, uh, most of you probably read Anne Frank at some point in your life, right? Remember Mr. So-and-so? Remember I'm a lady? Um, that kind of thing. It's this phrase for someone. Uh, certainly Boaz would have known the guy's name. It's not like he didn't know it. And yet for whatever reason, he fails to acknowledge this man's name. Uh, so then along with what's-his-face, he gathers ten of the elders, and they sit down with him. Uh, and this was a, a leadership role in, the, in, the, in Israel, um, these men of age and wisdom in the community. Uh, and, and so one of the things you find out right off the bat is, and we hadn't been mentioned yet, is that there's land attached to this whole redeeming thing, right? For the first time, we start to see there's financial motivation for someone um, to do this, for this unnamed redeemer to actually uh, redeem Naomi. And the man wants the land, and so he agrees to redeem Naomi. Now, due to her age, it's a very different thing, redeeming her. It wouldn't be that he would propagate her, her children with uh, Naomi's age, but uh, he'd be required to, to uh, take care of her. Uh, and that's all he thinks it is at first. And then Boaz drops the other, uh, the other part of this deal, right? He says, if you buy this field, you also must marry Ruth, right? Uh, this Moabite widow and continue her family line. And that is a very different situation. Um, to put it in our, you know, in our terms, you know, uh, I could tell you here's a great house. It's huge and you can get an amazing deal on this, on this house, right? And, and you think, yeah, I think I'll take that deal. And then, and then the, you know, the realtor explains to you, wonderful. And, and by the way, the house comes with the people living inside of it. Uh, and you're going to take care of them and that one's going to be your wife. Um, you know, maybe not such a good deal anymore. That's a little weird at this point. Uh, and, and so that's exactly how this Redeemer sees it. The, the Redeemer rejects the, the deal, or the man rejects the deal, and, and he gives his reason. He says his concern is that any son that was born between he and Ruth uh, would seek to inherit all that is his. Well, he's already got children, uh, and he's fearing that these children, his children, would get less because this new child would get more. Uh, presumably he's wealthy, and he has more to lose in this situation than gain, and so at that point he's out. Um, he yields the right of redemption to Boaz. Uh, and this man goes down in history without his name even being recorded. Um, you know, Mr. What's-His-Face, that's it. Uh, and so Boaz is now in the position to, to redeem Ruth. This is what he's wanted the whole time. Uh, and in verse 7, we, we see that phrase, in former times, which seems weird when we're reading a text that's some 3,000 years old, but in former times, meaning further back than that, um, that by the time this book was written, it was no longer a practice that the people in Israel did, meaning that uh, this would have been strange to them as well, right? Uh, it's like when we tell our children about former times. Uh, we're not the only ones who do this, right? There was a, in former times, you know, phones were all attached to the wall, and you could only go as far as the wire would let you go. And that just sounds strange to children. Or uh, in former times, we used to ride around in cars at 70 miles an hour with no seatbelt. Yeah, that's what we did. Uh, you know, in former times, we, we didn't have Google. If we wanted to look something up, we'd, we'd talk to Dewey and his decimal system. Um, you don't even know what that is, do you? 
so all that's to say is really it's just uh, the original audience, the first people to read this in Israel still would have thought this sandal thing to be really strange. Uh, and it is. I mean, can you picture this? Mr. So-and-so takes off his sandal and hands it to him. Um, you know, it's like in our culture when we, with nothing. There's nothing in our culture, anything like that. It's just weird. Uh, but you understand, it's just a, a strange way of confirming that this transaction has happened. It's a really strange receipt. Uh, that's what it is. And so he, he's bought this inheritance so that he can provide for a, ch- a child for Ruth, a child to receive the inheritance. And the elders there are witnesses. They are uh, there to have seen it. It's, uh, you know, they've seen this agreement, and now they're expecting both parties to actually fulfill the deal. It's kind of like uh, at weddings, you know, there's witnesses there. And remember one of your friends had to sign the, the wedding form at the end? Uh, and that's because it is more than just a piece of paper at a wedding. It's this public statement before everyone. Uh, two people are making this commitment to each other, and everyone who saw it is now expecting both parties to, to go through with this. Uh, in this case, Boaz makes clear to everyone that, that he's bought Ruth the Moabite to be his wife, that he's bought her. Uh, wow, that, does that term bother you when you hear that? You know, we, we hear this many years later, and, and, and you know that, that term, Boaz buying Ruth. Boaz paying for her. I mean, can you imagine how she feels in this, this moment? I mean, what do you think? I mean, she feel disrespected? She feel like a, an object, a possession that's been passed from one man to another man, something like that for a price? You know, well, let me ask you this. All of you, not just, just women here, men, women, children, anyone who believes the gospel, anyone who, who looks to Jesus with faith, let me ask you this. How do you feel that Jesus purchased you with his life on the cross, but he purchased you. You know, does that, does that make you feel like an object, like a, like a possession? Does that make you feel disrespected? Um, you know, in, in Scripture, in the Word of, of God, the, the church, meaning the people, not the building, is often referred to as the bride of Christ, right? The wife. Uh, we are Christ's wife, and we're his wife because he actually purchased us. That's that's the way it's put. And, and so does that make you feel like a, a mere possession? Or does it make you feel like a, a treasured possession? You know, does it make you feel loved and, and cared for deeply? Um, you know, that's how Ruth would have felt. And I think we miss that sometimes. Uh, because in her situation in Israel at this time in history, what she needed was a redeemer. She needed to be purchased more than she needed to prove her, her you know, strength and, and independence. And, and you know, our, our culture is very different today, but, but we have the same spiritual need. You know, we don't need to prove our, our righteousness. Uh, what we need is, is a redeemer. And, and God has given us that redeemer in Jesus Christ. And I think you see it, but there's this amazing parallel here between how Christ redeems us and, and the gospel and what we're seeing here. You, you, know, you realize that Boaz is under zero obligation to redeem Ruth. He has no obligation to do it. But he has the ability to do it, and in love and in grace, he is willing to do it. And Jesus Christ was also under absolutely no obligation to redeem sinners like you and I. You and me. You know, if he chose to, to leave us in our state of condemnation, it, it wouldn't be some injustice in the world, you know. 
No, it, it would be what we absolutely justly deserve. And yet Jesus had the ability to be our redeemer. And in love and in grace, he is willing to redeem us. And, and so he chose to be born into humanity. And he gives himself as a, a sacrifice, paying uh, you know, the required redemption price with his death on the cross at Golgotha. I mean, do you see just the beauty of, of redemption in the, in the temporal, smaller way with Ruth, but in the larger way in the gospel, the way that God has redeemed his people? Well, let's keep going in our passage. In verse 11, the witnesses speak. They finally speak up and have something to say. Uh, and they have this blessing over Ruth that she be like Rachel. You remember Rachel and, and Leah? Uh, they were without child for a very long time, and eventually God gave them children. In fact, all the 12 tribes of Israel um, were descendants of one of those two women or, or, or their maidservants, which is another strange story. Um, but uh, So the blessings that these, these women are, are speaking to her is a, a blessing of, of having children. And I know on some level that's an offensive thing, right? Is that really all Ruth's good for, having children? No. Certainly not. You know, remember, she was called worthy and strong and mighty last week by Boaz, and he respects her greatly uh, for her resolve and her worth ethic and so many other things. But, but having children was certainly a desire of Ruth's, um, something she desired for herself as well. And, and then part of that blessing is that her house be like the house of Perez. Uh, Perez, you know who Perez is? Yeah, he's a little lesser known than Moses and, and Abraham, uh, because his story would be a little more difficult to illustrate into a children's Bible. Uh, there was a woman named Tamar who was married to the son of Judah, uh, but Judah's son died and so left her a widow. And um, his brother, the infamous Onan, you likely have heard about, uh, refused his obligation to be a redeemer in her life to provide her with a child. And, and so she pretended to be a prostitute and she conceived a child with her father-in-law, Judah. So now you're seeing why this is in a children's Bible, right? Um, Perez, though, was the child born in that situation. And the reason that he's listed as a blessing here in this text is that the, the family line continued in that situation despite Tamar's husband dying while she was still childless. And so their hope for Ruth is the same, that this family line is going to actually continue on. Uh, and then we see that Ruth and Boaz are, are wed, and they, they slept together, and she became pregnant, and she gave birth, and all that in one single verse, right? That you thought your life was going quick. And yes, you know, Ruth has now found the rest that Naomi was praying for her all the way back in chapter 1. You remember verses 8 and 9. Uh, where Naomi, for these daughter-in-laws, prays, The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Now, it seems like going forward, the story would be with Ruth, right? That's where the future is at this moment. And, and yet the focus returns back to Naomi, the older of the two widows. And in verse 14, they say to her, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. Um, it's a little confusing whether they're talking about Boaz or, or the Lord here, but uh, it seems that they're talking about the Lord for uh, the redemption that he has provided. The way in these moments, or this period of brokenness in her life that the Lord has provided. And, and we see here that the Lord here, you know, the word Lord here is in all capitals meaning Yahweh. That the Lord's name is to be renowned. Practically what that means to be renowned is that, that God is to be spoken of and celebrated. Uh, that they would speak about all that the Lord has done uh, in their lives. And that's, that's for us too. That, that the word would be 
renown, right? That we would speak of all the Lord has done in our lives. And so regarding Ruth, the townspeople then say that she is more to Naomi than seven sons. That's not supposed to be an offense to seven sons. Uh, you know, uh, remember that the numbers here often have significance. Remember last uh, chapter three, maybe you remember, I don't know if you do. Uh, Boaz gave Ruth six measures of barley because the number six is uh, this number of incompleteness. And he hadn't quite completed the redemption at this point, uh, the steps needed for that. And here we see that the number is, is seven, number, the number of completeness. Boaz has made good on his promise and Ruth has now been redeemed. And so we've seen Naomi go from such deep brokenness that she asked her friends, actually the entire community, to refer to her as bitter. And, and here she is, again, rejoicing at the Lord's goodness. Don't, don't miss what's happened in her life here. This, you know, this should be an encouragement to us that, that no matter how terrible life might seem, or how terrible life might actually be at any given moment in your, in your life. You know, no matter how depressed, no matter how bitter you might feel, that God can remove that cloud of despair and return any of us to, to days of joy. You notice anything strange about verse 17 there? You see who named the child here? This is crazy. Uh, the women of the neighborhood named the child. Can you imagine letting the women in your neighborhood name your child? Um, this town would be full of Bill Snyder something rather. <laughs> Everyone would just be, that's, that's Bill Snyder Smith, that's Bill Snyder Shanahan. Um, that's the way we go. But, you know, these women do a great job. They give them a good name. They give them this name Obed. Uh, and Obed is a word that means uh, worshiper or servant. And so they give them this great name. And, and so then it all comes together in the least place you'd expect it to come together in this text. Uh, uh, you know, here, here's where the sovereign purpose of God and the pain of these two widows and, and the purpose of Ruth following her mother-in-law back to, to Bethlehem all begins to come into focus in a really strange way. Um, and, and as we look at this, I want you to keep in mind, Ruth never saw this. She never saw the way this was all going to unfold, that, that her life and the way it was connected to a much longer, much bigger picture. You know, some of you are familiar with the story of, uh, of Jim Elliott. You know, he, he never saw what happened to the, the tribes people who he, he showed up with his friends and, and preached the gospel and he got speared to death. Well, later, later the gospel came back because of that and these people all believed the gospel and it was beautiful. But Jim Elliott and his friends never saw that. Or, or like Stephen, when we were going through the book of Acts and, and he was stoned to death shortly after the resurrection of Christ and, and he knew, he already knew that the gospel was supposed to go out to uh, Jude, uh, Jude, uh, Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth, but he never saw it actually happen. And yet it did. And likewise, Ruth has no idea what God did in the history of redemption with her suffering, but the people of God for thousands of years now have seen this story and seen the way God has worked. And so let's look at the genealogy of those last five verses. It, it starts with Perez. We already learned about him, right? Uh, Tamar's son. You might not recognize that name, uh, Salmon, here, uh, but he married a woman you might have heard of, uh, Rahab, uh, one of those names in the Bible that tends to stick out. She, she also was a foreigner. She lived in the city of, of Jericho, and she worked as a prostitute until she rescued two of God's people uh, who were in the land spying it out. And, and she was brought into the covenant community after that where she lives a very different life from that moment on. Um, 
And you, you, you see this connection. I know it's a little hard sometimes when we're moving like this, but one of the reasons that Boaz is so welcoming, so caring for this, this foreign woman in, in, uh, in, in this culture is that his mother, Boaz's mother, was, was Rahab. Um, his own mother was also an outsider who was brought into the covenant community uh, as she came to worship the Lord. And, and we see then that, that Boaz and, uh, and Ruth's son, Obed, then becomes the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David. Yeah, that David. Um, this child born to, to Ruth is King David's grandfather. Um, it's one of those things you don't really see when we're starting through the story. And so our, our passage ends there, right? That's kind of where it stops in the story. But the lineage doesn't actually end there. It continues on. In fact, uh, turn over to Matthew chapter 1 real quick. If you've ever done those Bible reading in a year plans, you know, uh, and you start out great and, and um, the ones that jump around in different portions, you hit Matthew and you're like, can I just skip this? Um, because what is it, like 16 verses of begots of just genealogy? Um, and so you see that the, you know, verses 5 and 6 are actually what we just saw in Ruth. And, and yet, um, that's where the book of Ruth ends. But this family tree goes on for another 10 verses in the book of Matthew. And it goes on until it gets to Mary. Uh, Mary, the mother of, of Jesus. And, and so the story that we've just read in Ruth is really the story of, of God redeeming his people from their sin. So I've got you in Matthew, not because I want to walk you through that, but I want you to see it with your own eyes, the way that lineage goes on. Um, that section we skip over, we're seeing this connection between the redemption we've just seen in Ruth and the redemption that God brings to his people. And I, I just, I love it. I mean, you look at this list, and the more you learn about him, the more you see that um, this list is the story of our Savior's family, and it's full of sinners. Like real sinners, too, right? Not like I was rude to someone type things. Um, people committing horrendous sins. Um, and this is beautiful because we see in, in Jesus' family tree are, are men and women just like all the people that Jesus would one day lay down his life to save. This is grace. Um, look at the front of your bulletin. I don't know if you ever read this since the first time you've been here, right? I've got it in my notes here. But um, <clears throat> you look at it. You know, you ever actually read that? It, it doesn't say to all who are righteous, or to all who are without sin, or to all who are respectable. It also doesn't say to all who you know, love their sin, or dismiss their sin, or uh, treat it as though it's no big deal. Here's what it actually says. It says, to all who are spiritually weary and seek rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who struggle and desire victory, to all who sin and need a Savior, to all who are strangers and want fellowship, to all who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and to all who will come, this church opens wide her doors and offers welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you see, no matter what your past in Jesus Christ, there is a, a glorious future of redemption. Redemption accomplished for you and eternal life given to you. Um, that's what Jesus came to accomplish. We see that in Matthew 1, 121. Um, you don't need to turn over there, but I guess you're already there, technically. Uh, Matthew 121, which is speaking of the advent, meaning the coming of Christ. Uh, and it says that she will bear a son, and, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So then, what do we make of this, this book of Ruth, right? 
We've come to the end of it. You've seen these connections. Uh, one of the wonderful things is the way that uh, this has been a story about God's covenant love on so many levels. It's about his, his covenant love to, to Naomi and, and Ruth, giving them rest through this Redeemer who is Boaz. But, but it's also about God's covenant love for Israel, right? Now, as we see, this story leads to the birth of, of King David, who is the king that the nation desperately needed. And then we've seen this is about God's covenant love for, for the elect, for, for God's chosen people, his, his church. And, you know, in every nation, every era that goes far beyond the time of this story. And we've seen in, in this story, you know, it is, it is part of the story of Jesus' birth and, and being his family line. And, and so this is our story. If you realize that, as you're adopted into the family of God, this, this is our story. Um, for it's in the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ Jesus that we are brought into the family of God and cared for as children of God. God's covenant love is, is seen clearly in this beautiful story. And, and that's part of the history of redemption. Just one last thing, and we'll close. You know, um, you read something like this, and, and you kind of have to ask yourself, because as Christians, sometimes we're like, yeah, yeah, that's cool, and just move on. But, but the question is, you know, are, are you resting in the love of, of Jesus for you today? I mean, do you see the covenant love for God, what he's done for you in redemption, the way that he did what you could not do, that he did it not because he was obligated to do it, but out of great love for you? I mean, do you see that? And, and if you are, then praise God. Seriously, take time and praise God to, to thank him that you can stop working and, and just rest in the salvation that has been purchased for you. And I also remind you that there are, there are people in your life who do not know what it means to rest in Jesus. People that are in your, your families, in your friend groups, at work, various places, and they either know nothing of the gospel at all, or they have some false idea that Christianity is about being good enough, or, or, or they imagine some litmus test of sins that you know Christians don't do. And others are, are still looking inside themselves to see what do I have to offer God that he'll receive me. And in the process, you know, as they, they've struggled with that sort of question, they've, they've missed the truth that the only way that anyone ever comes to the Lord is with empty hands. Acknowledging that, you know what, I, I, have, I have nothing to bring. Nothing to offer. And yet the beauty of the gospel is that we need not bring anything. We need not offer anything. For, for Jesus has everything we need for this life and the life to come. Let's pray.